everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, fellas. How we doing? David, you go first. Me, me go first. I, I, I feel like I always go first, and I think it, it gets under Evan's skin. So all the more reason I wanted to give him. I, I, I would like to defer my usually going first to the esteemed Evan Grant. Well, I'm on mountain time, so it takes a little bit longer for the information to get out here. But uh, all is good. Uh, Kevin, I know, is on his way out to, to Arizona um, tomorrow to see the Rangers for a few days. And Kevin's going to be glad to know that when he gets here, it appears the weather is actually going to be nice. Looks like the weather is finally cleared up. The story no longer is, boy, it sure is cold in Arizona. So... Good for you, Kevin. You can wear your Hawaiian shirts and all that other stuff. If I had a Hawaiian shirt, I would. You got a couple of extra ones for me? I do. They're sitting in my closet. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to wear those then or, or do something with them. Maybe maybe clean my golf clubs with them. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and, and David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? Doing well. Uh, just uh, had the... Texas immersion experience last week, uh, returned from a week in Big Bend, uh, a couple of days in Marfa to top it off. So how was it? Uh, oh, it was wonderful. Wonderful. Big Bend is a big, big place. Yeah, yes, it is. Did stay at the gauge on the front end and went and stayed actually in the park at the uh, Chesis Lodge and the heart of Big Bend for four nights and then uh, finished it up with a couple in Marfa. So it was a, uh, it was Beautiful time of year to go to West Texas. It was, um, you know, upper 60s, low 70s every day, get down in the 40s at night, spectacular sunsets. And again, just to show I got the true West Texas experience, all of that was beautiful, you know, picturesque blue skies. Uh, on Thursday, started off a beautiful, beautiful, picturesque day, and the storm that blew through DFW uh, actually blew through uh, Big Bend a little earlier, and let's just say wind gust of 60 to 70 miles per hour in high desert changes the landscape a little bit. And there was also maybe an electrical outage for five to six hours, and when I was talking to somebody, when I was talking to a manager of a restaurant, and, uh, you know, here everything's on a grid, right? And you you... You think about the, you know, electricity going down in a certain area, uh, but it's like, okay, well, electricity's down here. I'll drive 10 minutes away to go over here to go to a restaurant and eat or, you know, whatever. Well, there it goes out for the entire county. So, like, we were there, and it was out where we were, and I was going like, well, let's just go to Terlingua and eat. And it's like, oh, no, they're out too. Those are big counties down there. So, so, so it's like all of Brewster County. But anyway, like I, I was talking to a manager at the restaurant, and uh, I said, well, I'm sure this happened some, right? And he said, I started this job six weeks. I just moved out here and started this job six weeks ago. This is the seventh power outage in the six weeks I've been here. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so Evan, uh, John Gray is apparently okay now. Uh, and is going to be uh, in the rotation. Wiz, he's supposed to start a Wednesday game, correct? Yeah, yeah, he's going to start. Um, and it may Jacob Degrom may throw a a live batting practice session 
on uh, Wednesday as well. You know, the, the weird thing, Kevin, is I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling a little bit out here because there's not a whole lot of roster decisions on this roster. And the story of spring training is supposed to be this pitching-centric team, right? The, how good this, this pitching staff is supposed to be. Well, there's no roster decisions to make, and none of the pitchers are pitching in games. So it's kind of making uh, creating some challenges. Maybe you could just tell us about what guys did in their offseason. You could write a little column on that, and they've taken up, you know, crocheting or, you know, taekwondo. I don't know. I'm working on that. I I, I did. But my, my crazy, stupid question to ask guys this spring has been, like, what's the crazy, the stupidest food regimen that you've ever been on to try and lose weight, put on weight, whatever your, your off-season goal was? Um, and I'll, I'll just, the story's not written yet, but I'll just say that somehow, somehow it, my conversation with Joe Barlow on this topic somehow became about scabies. Um, he didn't have scabies, but certainly it was, more of a conversation about scabies than I've ever had with a, a professional baseball player. Or would ever want to have. Yes. Yes. But it was fascinating nonetheless. Are you going to fill us in on the on the depths of the conversation here? No, I'm going to oh. save that for the story. I, I, Let, I, let's I, save that for the story. I'll be sure to miss that edition. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so besides that, Evan, uh, you, you did kind of dig up some stuff here because they've got some things going on here with Leo Tavares, who uh, the who's projected as the opening day center fielder, uh, which was no surprise. Uh, but then he has had an oblique strain, uh, which, as you have reported, may jeopardize his status for opening day, which means that they the natural thing you would think was they would move Bubba Thompson over to center field, and then that frees up Robbie Grossman uh, in left field, which... We think probably that uh, uh, at least Robbie Grossman is going to play left field, and maybe Brad Miller too, but we're not sure about that, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think you uh, you know today actually Josh Smith is playing left field in the exhibition, but th- that I think that's more just scheduling of of guys. But you could go Robbie Grossman full time in left field until Leody is ready and play Bubba regularly in center field. Um, if you wanted to, uh, I, I think more likely the Rangers are going to try and look at some potential platoons and whether the platoon is Robbie Grossman, uh, from the right side in left and, uh, uh, Brad Miller from the left side, uh, I mean, Brad Miller from the left and, and Robbie Grossman from the, uh, from the right, uh, or whether it's Brad Miller splitting time with Mitch Garver at DH, I think. Those are the platoon situations. So that's to be worked out. But if you move Bubba Thompson to center field, you've still got to create another roster spot for an outfielder. And there's just not many outfielders on this 40-man roster. And it's a pretty full 40-man roster. There is, there's not a lot of, of, of fat on this roster. So the Rangers are probably going to have to add a non-roster player. And that's going to cost them in all likelihood um, somebody that's on, on the 40 man, probably a pitcher of some type. So, uh, you had also mentioned the possibility of Clint Frazier, uh, but he's not a center fielder. Uh, and so that kind of, uh, jeopardizes his, uh, potential there a little bit. 
But I, at, at this point, and you know, we should always qualify this when we talk about spring training. You can't get too excited or too down on anybody. I mean, you're, you're always, especially with a veteran, looking at what their their track record is. And, and, uh, and basically all you're looking for in spring training from those guys is do the, are they matching that? Does it look like they are, are continuing what they've always been? And that's certainly what they're looking for in Robbie Grossman. He's always uh, hit well against left-handers, and Brad Miller's always hit well against, against right-handers. And that's, and that's all good. Uh, I'm though intrigued a little bit by Clint Frazier because of who he was supposed to be with the Yankees. And so he comes to the Rangers and he knows, uh, one of the hitting coaches. And so there's a potential there that, uh, maybe they can help fix something. Is it possible that Clint Frazier has been having a good spring? Is it possible that he could hit his way into this lineup? I, I think it's possible, and I think, you know, if you have to open the season with Leody on the I.L. and add an, or, or an outfielder, I think the conversation comes down to Clint Frazier and Travis Jankowski. Um, Jankowski is a left-handed hitter. He plays center field. He's a plus defender, and he's a plus runner. And those are all things that would pair up real nicely to try and give Bubba Thompson some off days early in the season against right-handed pitching. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're going on results here, you know, Clint has looked better. There is pop in his bat. Uh, I just don't know that for what you'd be looking for, that it's the right fit out of the gate. And then all of a sudden, two weeks into the season, you're probably looking at, well, we've got to activate Leody and somebody's going to have to go. Do you then do you then put Frazier on waivers? Um, and, and offered him up, and there will be interest in him. I think there's been some guys who have already seen him in the spring who think, yeah, there may be something tempting in that bat. So um, from my perspective, the thing that would make the most sense right now would be if you've got to add an outfielder for the short term, you try, you try and add Jankowski um, and see if you can convince Frazier to stay in the organization at the end of spring and go to Round Rock to start the year. Um, and let him know that the first time you get an, an outfield injury that's going to require actual playing time or a DH injury, he's probably going to be your first call. Do you have any idea if he would he would agree to that? I, I don't know. I mean, look, he, he's been he's been humbled, and his uh, his situation has changed greatly. He spent a lot of last year at AAA in the Cubs organization. He obviously has a real affection for for uh, and an affinity for Tim Hires, the range hitting coach, and if he's at Round Rock. He could certainly continue to be in contact with with Tim and work with him. So I think there's some some circumstances that would potentially lead it to be of the alternatives out there for him. I think it would it would be potentially attractive or the the nicest of the of unattractive options. Um, but I we're just still such a long way from that. You know, guys aren't even talking about outs and contracts yet or anything like that. And there's a lot of health issues around Major League Baseball that are going to either arise or will still need to be resolved. You know, I don't have any problem at all with, uh, for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, you know, playing Adolis in center field. Obviously, he, he can do that, and that's not a very long period of time, and it's not going to create any issues for him. Uh, you know, he's a he's a plus-plus right fielder. You know, you've got a solution in center field. Why move somebody to center field where you're going to potentially tax him and you're still going to have to fill right field? Well, I, that, 
True, but uh, I would rather have Adolis playing center field than have Clint Frazier play center field. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If yeah. you decide that Clint Frazier, the bats just plays up so much better, uh, then, frankly, I'd rather do that. I'd rather do that and play Clint Frazier while he was hot. And uh, and if you have to make a decision three weeks into the season, well, you do that. Uh, but, you know, for that matter, I don't have a problem with them uh, as much as we've talked about Leody and and uh, and Bubba Thompson and the potential of these guys, look, it's still just potential. Uh, and and so is Clint Frazier. I kind of would like to see a little bit of a meritocracy here and see if if you decide that well, Clint Frazier's going and he's hitting really well, and why why should we change that? Let's just stick with him and let's leave Leody. You know, let's send him back down again. Let's let's send Bubba down again, uh, or whoever. How many outfitters you got to carry here at that point? Uh, however you want to characterize if you want to characterize Brad Miller as an outfielder as well. So I, I think at that point, I don't have a problem with moving uh, Adolis over there for the, in the short term. I'm like you. I don't want to play him out there every day, you know, for the rest, you know, the rest of the season. But for three weeks or a month, I don't have a problem. I hear you. I mean, I think it's, it's a possibility, and it may come down to that. Like, does Jankowski fit better in the short term um, for what the Rangers' needs are, or – does Frazier have such a good spring and tantalizes people with the, with the potential pop in his bat that they say, we've got to give this guy a look for the first two weeks and see if there is something there. All right. Uh, I was intrigued too, by the signing of Will Smith, uh, who, whose numbers haven't been great, but he certainly pitched in some great situations. And, and that would seem to me to be part of the bonus of signing him, right? Not only does he kind of give you another option out there as a, you know, maybe he's been a closer. He's done that in high leverage situations. He's done a little bit of everything, but he's also a veteran voice back there. And that was the one thing we've talked about before that, that they, they don't have in that bullpen. They don't have that kind of guy unless Ian Kennedy makes it the club. And I, I don't know if I see enough of Ian Kennedy anymore to do that. I think the road is, more narrow for him, for sure. Um, Smith gives them a better... Smith would give them the veteran presence. He does give them somebody who had closer experience. He does give them another lefty to replace the the Matt Moore presence from last year. And listen, not only did he close, he closed for Bruce Bochy for a year. So the manager is, is familiar with him. Um, and I don't think it should be overlooked that, you know, the last... The number of times that Will Smith has gone to the postseason over the last six years are significant too. So all, all those things add up. And and look, he's a he's a capable major league pitcher. Um, and maybe the Rangers thought that Matt Moore was not worth six and a half million dollars or whatever he's making from the Angels this year. But for a million and a half guaranteed for Will Smith with bonuses based on games finished and games game and, and appearances. That's well worth Ray Davis digging, you know, digging around for a little bit of extra pocket change to just take advantage of the market situation. So I, I think good on the Rangers. You know, they. The question I've always got on this stuff is: you did sign Grossman, you did sign Frazier. Why did it take until after camp had started? But sometimes the market just doesn't move and, and until late. I think agents do their players something of a disservice in that situation, but. Smith came right in here. He threw a bullpen the next day. Um, he was, I think he's pitching in a B game this morning. So all good on that front. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I and I agree with that too. I, I was a, a little surprised that you know they're not resigning Matt Moore because he did pitch so well last year. He was so effective. He is a veteran guy. He has done a lot of different things. He started. He's done a little bit of, of all of that, uh, and and seems to be a good guy. Uh, I guess it just came down to money, right? I mean, you, you're, you're right. If, if if they if he got six and a half million from the Angels, they saved five million dollars, and maybe that's all they were looking for. I I, I think. I think, look, the Rangers' priorities were when when the Rangers lined up their prior priorities. It was pitching one A and one B, uh, starting pitching. Um, then it was left field, and then you got to the bullpen. And when when they looked up and they didn't get Conforto for left field, and they decided that Yavaldi was the best available talent on the market, even though he was yet another pitcher. It now it looks smart because they need that depth, but also. It just basically, they, at some point in time, they say these are the dollars that we've committed, and we've committed to, we've committed all the dollars we had uh, allocated, and we just don't have anything left to spend. Um, and then you look up, and there's a, there's a bargain there's a bargain contract out there for you. So good on them for stepping up and and saying we can still address this need after we probably thought that it was gonna it was gonna go unaddressed this offseason. So you've talked about, uh, or you've written about Cole Reagan's having a good camp so far, uh, throwing hard and and actually kind of maybe forcing a little bit of the conversation, although Chris Young kind of did throw a little bit of a wet blanket on that when he said we've got our five starters and this, you know, he could be something along those lines. Uh, yeah. I wanted that you, you also mentioned Dane Dunning. Uh, you know, it's just so crazy to me to think about the fact that, you know, last year, we're talking to Spencer Howard, you know, about the possibility of being a starter. It's like, my gosh. And although I will say, as I'm standing there talking to him and he's talking, I thought, what a disaster this is that Spencer Howard is a candidate for the Rangers rotation going into the season. Uh, but now none of those guys are, right? Not Dane Dunning, not Glenn Otto, not, not uh, Spencer Howard, you know, uh, Cole Reagan is, but he was not in that position, you know, last year. Well, I think you're looking at, I, Kevin, I think you're looking at a nine-man, a legitimate nine-man pitching pool. When you go with the five projected starters, um, DeGrom, Heaney, Uvalde, uh, Perez, and John Gray. Plus, now the guys that you just mentioned, Dane Dunning, who's got 25 starts each of the last two years, Jake Odorizzi, who's got more starts in the big leagues than any of these guys, um, Glenn Otto and Cole Reagan. That's a legitimate nine-man pitching pool, and I think it's one thing that the Rangers have lacked is guys who were going to have to start the season in the minor leagues but had at least some degree of, of major league chops that were, that were also optionable pieces. They haven't had that. They've had trouble just filling out five spots in the in, in the big league starting rotation. So they're in better shape to withstand injuries, um, and I think they're being super super cautious with these guys this spring. So we'll we'll see where it goes from there. I do think that it makes more sense for Reagan's to go to AAA and pitch as a starter there than to make this team out of out of the bullpen. Um, you're going to need Dunning, and you're going to need Reagan, and you're going to need them to step in and be able to pitch five, six innings right from the start. I don't want to mess around with any um, bullpen games or openers or anything like that. Keep these guys on regular schedules, and this way, if if you have Jacob DeGrom go down, you have two potential options 
that you can pluck in based on what their pitching schedule for. So the, I, they're just in in a better position right now as we sit here on whatever today is March seventh. Still three weeks from opening day. We'll see how healthy everybody is. You know, come March thirtieth. So uh, other than Josh Spores, uh, you had mentioned is out of options, and so that's somebody who almost assuredly will make the roster, opening day roster. Uh, are any of the starting pitchers uh, out of options? I don't, no. I'm not talking about the five veterans. Uh, no. Uh, well, I mean, I thought Arizzi is, but he's on, he's on the team. He would be the one yeah. guy who would pitch kind of in a long relief role if he's healthy. Now, he's got this – he had dealt with arm fatigue, and he is behind the other guys, and I think you'll get a better feel – come this coming week whether or not Odorizzi's re- realistic for opening day for the opening day uh, roster yeah but he's kind of just there as an emergency anyway at this point um all right uh that's going to do it for the Rangers segment of our podcast now uh we're going to move over now to talk a, a little bit about the Cowboys uh they have put they've officially put the franchise tag on Tony Pollard not really a surprise there. Uh, everybody was kind of expecting that. Uh, now the question is, the other shoe to drop, uh, are they going to uh, release Ezekiel Elliott? Are they going to uh, going to try to – obviously they're not going to keep him under the contract that he has now, which is just an exorbitant – I believe, David, does it count like $16.9 million against the cap this year? 16.9 It is the largest – cap expenditure of any running back in the National Football League for the upcoming season. And he would be your second back here. So if he's going to, if they're going to work out something, uh, yeah, the the franchise tag on on Tony Pollard isn't any surprise because, um, you know, let's face it, this this offense has two playmakers, C.D. Lamb and Tony Pollard. Uh, What did Mike McCarthy and and uh, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones talk about at the scouting combine in Indianapolis last week, how they want to become an even better running team. And, and that's a big part of where they are going forward. You can't go forward and, and not have your best running back in place. You don't make that declaration and then three days later go, okay, well, we'll use the franchise tag on someone other than Tony Pollard, and we'll st- still try to work this out and get him signed. Um, and, and, you do, and you don't reduce a limited number of playmakers from two to one going into an off season where there's no assurance of who you're going to be able to get in free agency or the draft. So uh, for where they are, uh, two consecutive 12 and five teams, uh, what they want to do offensively, keeping Tony Pollard was imperative. And now that kind of sets the stage and, and lays the groundwork for the next decisions that are to come, which is one, how do you handle Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott and his future and is his future with the Cowboys? Two, uh, you know, they used the tag on Dalton Schultz last year, the tight end. Uh, now he's going to hit the open market and is arguably the, not, well, not arguably, he is the most attractive tight end on the free agent market. And you would expect him, you would expect to lose him, uh, you know, and, and two, I, the other candidate in my mind to have the franchise tag applied was Donovan Wilson at safety, who had an outstanding season. Um, and now I think there's a good chance you lose him on the open market. So there, there are always ramifications from these moves. But by using the franchise tag on Pollard, I think it makes it much more likely that Dalton Schultz and or Donovan Wilson aren't on this team next year. And 
the next thing you have to settle really from a financial standpoint is Ezekiel Elliott and his status. Yeah, and, and, and look, I think we can all agree here, uh, or at least uh, this is what I think. I, I don't know why you would bring Zeke back under any terms at this point. Uh, you know, if you release him now, you, you save, what, $4 million on the cap? Uh, if you wait until after June 1st, make him a June post-June 1st cut, you save plus $10 million. A little more than $10 million. Now you'll be on the hook for $6 million next year, whereas if you just absorbed it all now, uh, there would be no hit next year. But... Yeah, that's their decision. If if there's a release, um, you know, it is four point nine. You say four point nine million on the cap this year if you do it right away. Uh, you save uh, ten million this year if you split it, designated June first, and carry six million over next year. But he has no guaranteed money left. So this is really, uh, as we talked about, you know, at this stage last season. Any discussion of Ezekiel Elliott's future was going to happen this offseason, not last offseason, when we looked at his declining production. Yeah. And, and you know, at, at this point, too, uh, I, I really feel like, and I had kind of been on a little bit of this bandwagon, let, let's say that B. John Robinson, the terrific Texas running back who had a great combine, uh, made it all the way down to the 26th pick, that that would be really tantalizing for the Cowboys to do that. I know we don't really like drafting quarterbacks, I mean, running backs in the first round. That's what they did with Zeke. He was the fourth pick, of course, of the 2016 draft, and they made the mistake of giving him a second contract, and that's why they're in the position they are now. Um, but at 26, that's a different case. That's a that's a guy, I think the Cowboys have said they have graded out 20 players as actual first-round picks that are worth a first-round pick. You're drafting at 26. If you can get a guy who is considered a top-10 talent, well, then you probably ought to do that. Uh, just from the, uh, the pure value alone of doing that. But by giving Tony Pollard uh, the tag, which I, I, I think that's a good move. I think that was what they needed to do. I, I think that kind of takes him off the board for me, uh, Bijan off the board for me. I, I really feel like at that point, we get, the Cowboys need to make the decision, you know, who do we get here? Obviously, you always want to take the best player you can get at that point uh, in the first round. But, you know, they – they could kind of, and I guess in a way, the good thing for the Cowboys is they could go a number of directions here, right? They don't have a a crying need. I know uh, fans are going to say, well, they obviously need one at wide receiver, and I would agree with that. And we're going to talk about that in a minute about the possibilities of, of what the Cowboys can add in free agency and what they should add in free agency. Um, but I, I do think that in the draft, if you make the right moves in free agency, and then you can, you know, and this is what the Cowboys have tried to do before. Did you answer some of those needs? And then you really do free yourself up in the draft. So uh, let, let's talk about that now, about what we think the Cowboys should pursue here. Because as you pointed out, it's two years in a row of 12 and 5. They have built through the draft. That's what you're supposed to do. They've done a very good job at it. Will McClay has turned around that uh, war room from what it was in the, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, when, frankly, it was pretty much a disaster. And a lot of that, and I don't want to be too unfair to, to the memory of Larry Lacewell, was that the Cowboys were constantly trading out of the first round. And almost every time they traded out of the first round, it almost always was a disaster. Uh, the, you look back at those drafts, guys just didn't stick. They have held on to their first-round picks in the last 10 years for the most part, uh, and good for them doing that. And they have hit on most of them, even when we've questioned them. You know, I questioned somewhat. Uh, you know, the first round pick last year and boom, kid comes in. He, he not only plays tackle, he plays guard. 
Uh, he was the most penalized offensive lineman in college football uh, coming out of, of Tulsa. And, and what does he do? You know, uh, Tyler Smith ends up being a guy who looks like he's on track to be a pro bowler. Uh, a lot of people questioned that pick last year. It wasn't just us. It was pretty universal. Uh, and, and draft uh, assessors of draft talent liked him but thought it would take him a little bit of time to develop. It did not. He was he exceeded expectations from day one. And uh, in, in fact, even to the point where, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy's very big about talking when you're a draft and develop team, you need this, talking about how uh, the jump uh, a really talented player will make from year one to year two. And that's where you really get excited once they've laid a, a good foundation. Uh, he even brought up the other day that Tyler Smith was so good as a rookie, uh, the, the expected you know, significant jump that a young player takes from year one to year two. He didn't really know if that's realistic for Tyler Smith because he played at such a high level uh, as a rookie. So, um, so the, again, to me, Tyler Smith is a perfect example of how after years of questioning everything the Cowboys draft department did, and justifiably so, uh, they have earned the benefit of the doubt with with picks they have made over this last five to six years and uh, the development of those players, especially at the top end of the draft. No question about that. So let's talk about now, uh, before we kind of get into that, maybe uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, the, obviously, in the first round of what we think the Cowboys could do. But I want because they, they need to get this straightened out in free agency first. They need to figure out who they're going to take, who they're going to try to sign, what they're going to try to bring back. So we're going to go across the board here. We're going to start with Evan. Evan, are you still awake? I am. Okay, good. Uh, Evan, you're going to make a case for somebody that you think the Cowboys should sign in free agency, and who is that going to be, Evan? You do this like a school teacher. Well, that's, that's what I would deal with you, especially. It's like dealing <laughs> with a small child. So, yes, that's why it comes across as me being a school teacher. Well, I mean, I I think I make the case for. I think you made the case for me, Kevin. I mean, this this team has, or, or David did, this team has, you know, two offensive weapons right now in CD and and Tony Pollard, and as as good as Pollard was last year, I'm still not convinced that I that I completely say that that Tony's an elite running back, but he's the best weapon the Cowboys have. Um, they need another downfield weapon and so I'm looking at wide receivers but I'm not looking at Odell Beckham Jr. I, I think that you look at that group that's Jacoby Myers, Juju um, Smith-Schuster, uh, maybe even DJ Chark. Those guys are all four or five years younger than OBJ. I think they all slot in really well as number two receivers um, and I think you don't bring any of the What's the right word? The drama or the melodrama or whatever you want to call it, uh, with OBJ, and and you're in better you're you're in a better position, and you're you're just better across the board as a P. So my perspective is go out and get another wide receiver. Um, I know that none of those guys have the name that Odell Beckham Jr. does, but I think they're going to give you at least the same production perhaps more, and I think they're, they're going to cost you less, and I think they're going to fit better. I, I would have to agree with that. Whether it's OBJ or, or one of the guys that, that Evan mentioned, I, I do think they need to bring in somebody. But let me ask you this, David, as a, a counterpoint to that. Do we expect Michael Gallup to come back 
and play at the level that the Cowboys certainly committed to him when they gave him that contract. Uh, and I guess there's what, two years left on it. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- that is their expectation. Now I will say this also brings in to, but if you, if you really have, uh, a diverse and explosive offense that you would like, is Michael Gallup your second receiver or your third receiver? I would argue his skill set and his temperament that your offense is at its best when he is the third receiver. Um, and, and I think so. I think you need a a stronger complement, a down-in and down-out complement to C.D. Lamb than what Michael Gallup has shown throughout his career. And that's not a knock on on Gallup. It's just I think who he is as a player, and he and he can break a game open for you, but he's more the home run hitter, right? And it, that's how they fused him. You know, it was interesting. Uh, don't want to go too far afield here, but um, you know, it's going to be interesting with the with the change at offensive coordinator and and play calling this upcoming year with uh, Kellen Moore gone and now Brian Schottenheimer's coordinator and 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 Mike McCarthy calling plays. One thing you heard late last season when uh, Gallup's lack of production was so apparent was, you know what, we need to use him a little bit differently in the offense. We keep running him on vertical routes down the field to clear everything out, and it's just taking him out of the play too often. We need to find a way to get him back into the play. So I think that's one of the adjustments you're going to see this offseason. But even having said that, uh I would, this is why I think there's a very good argument on uh, Evan's argument on uh, bringing in a veteran receiver to pair next to C.D. Lamb, who is still relatively young in his career, and and Michael Gallup, who is not uh, a bell cow sort of receiver. Uh, Have that experience in there. Have someone in there. Um, And, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of guys on the free agent market. There are a couple of guys uh, that teams have, made it clear they're willing to trade like an Allen Robinson or a Cortland Sutton, um, who I think would be ideal in here. Now that gets back to the Cowboys philosophy. Is it better to put a veteran in there or do they just want to get another young player in there and develop them and continue to lean on C.D. Lamb and expect Michael Gallup to be better than what he was? Yeah, I think what I'd like to see here is a little bit of what the Rangers did in the offseason with the rotation. And it's like, we're not going to count on anybody anymore. We're going to make these young guys, you know, fight their way into the starting lineup. It's just like Jalen Tober last year. They were counting on him, right? And he, yeah. he was a disaster. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and so uh, I, I love Cortland Sutton. He's a big, big receiver. I, I frankly think that's what they need. I think they need a guy. Uh, I'm looking at more of a – I know everybody thinks you always want a guy who's going to take the top off the offense. They need a guy who's a possession receiver. They need a guy – that when Dak has to throw to somebody and he's a little bit covered, this guy's going to win those 50-50 balls. They don't have one of those. That's, and who's going to not lose that did a good job of that for them? Dalton Schultz. Dalton yeah. Schultz has become his security blanket. If you lose him in free agency, which is what they expect, you're going to need that sort of player that uh, Dak Prescott can form that connection with. Now, now I would I say you start to see it some out of Lamb, but you need more than one guy. Yeah, you do. I, I think CD improved a lot last year. A lot. He, yeah. He's not a big guy, and mm-hmm. and and that's and frankly, you know, you just gotta have that. That's we all remember what Des Bryant was like, right? Guy was just mauling defensive backs back there to catch balls, you know. And so that's what Tony could always count on. The Cowboys have not had anything close to that 
since Dez's demise. So uh, I, I, th I think I would really like to see that. But I'm going to make a case also uh, for uh, re-signing uh, Leighton Vander Esch. And I know that's not going outside, it's staying inside. But it would do accomplish two things. It, it would make that drafting Leighton Vander Esch in the first place not quite so egregious, right? Uh, they could have moved up uh, two picks, and and they could have had you know a pretty nice safety, but he's had his uh, his problem staying healthy as well. Uh, but uh, I do think he played really well last year. You know, he reminded me a lot uh, of, of last year of of what, uh, and I'm having a, a senior moment here thinking about the Cowboys linebacker out of Penn State was Sean Lee. Sean Lee, yeah. Uh, he reminded me of Sean Lee a lot. Just getting to the ball, making a nice tackle, uh, a, a nice form tackle, and uh, and and it was all wrapped up very nicely and neatly. Of course, the one problem with committing to him is how healthy is he going to be? You know, that was another Sean Lee issue. Uh, so they are maybe more similar than than we would like uh, to see. But um, I, I I I think it's it's too much to think that Damone Clark. Or Jabril you know, Cox is going to come in and uh, and and pick up the slack if you don't bring back Anthony Barr, if you don't bring back LVE. Oh. Yeah, you you have a whole there, and that's uh, and who who's the big, you know, who's the big name on the linebacker market that would make some sense? Uh, that would be Bobby Wagner, who uh, Dan Quinn coached in Seattle. Now now that would be an upgrade at the position, and if if you did that or even considered it. It would be, you would not sign. It would be at the expense of Leighton Vander Esch. It would be letting Anthony Barr on his one-year contract go. It would be saying, no, we're getting this guy. We know he's toward the end, but putting him next to Micah Parsons on a defense that's already one of the top 10 defenses in the league will make our strength even more of a strength. It, it would be that sort of determination. And, and to me, this is where... Uh, this is where the Cowboys are kind of at an interesting crossroads because they're clearly a draft and develop team, as we've heard Mike McCarthy and others say uh, ad infinitum over these last two years. It's working for them. They're back and back 12 and 5. They're, I believe they were the youngest team in the playoffs last year. Uh, so a lot is going right. But do you continually stay on that loop or when you get to a point where it's like, okay, we're 12 and 5, two straight years? Uh, and we like some of our young players and where they are, but should we go out and get a Bobby Wagner for a, a year or two because we believe we're right there on the cusp? Uh, do we do that with it on the offensive side of the ball with a player? And I think that the Cowboys are in a place right now where that is a should be a stronger conversation than what it's been the last several years as they have put this team together and transformed it into a draft and developed good young team. Now I think that's in place, but, you know, sometimes you need to meld. You can still be a draft and develop team and go out and spend on one or two free agents, right? Um, and Dallas hasn't done that really over the last seven or eight years. Now I think they're in a position where I think that needs to be a pretty strong discussion for them going into this uh, free agency period. You know, Which David, ends I, next week. I hate to admit that I'm wrong, but I'm going to say that you make a much better case for Bobby Wagner than I did for LVE. And here's the one thing you did not talk about, and I think that, that Bobby Wagner brings you. He's won. Who on this yeah. Cowboys defense has won anything? Yeah. And and I think that this is the one thing that I see for this team. When you have young players and you and they're the best players on the team, like and we've talked about, they, they are the best players in the team, right? Uh, C.D. Lamb, 
uh, Trayvon Diggs, and Micah Parsons. When you're the best players on the team, but you're also the youngest on the team. Dak Prescott, I, I, Ezekiel Elliott, how far have they been in postseason? What success have they enjoyed? None. And so what happens then is those young guys think, what do you know? Why should I listen to you? Why should I consider what you're saying? You've never won anything. I'm better than you are. So I think that you bring in a Bobby Wagner, that's a really great influence on idea. By all accounts, Bobby's a great guy, great uh, locker room presence. He still had a pretty uh, good season last year. He had a very good season last year. He's like, I guess he's 33, and that would be my one concern. You wouldn't want sure. any more than a three-year deal for sure. Uh, but he still is a very good player. And, and really, aren't the Cowboys right now playing for now? I mean, do they really need to be worrying about what's going to happen two or three years from now? They need to be thinking about the fact that this clock is ticking. This, 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 this is my issue, Kevin. That's my issue. That you just you just said it right. You can't be a draft and develop team all the time because then you're constantly going to be developing and not winning. You're always behind the cycle. At some point in time, you have to finish off a team. And David, you made the point. This is a 12-5 and five team in back-to-back years with really disappointing exits from the playoffs. At some point in time, the priority has to be we need to we have a good core and we need to finish it off. Um, there's some elements of the draft that are always going to be clearly look ahead, but my, my perspective going into this draft needs to be get the guy who's going to help you the most this year, high, and finish off the team with what you need to do free agency-wise to make sure that you're in position to go further. I think that's a great point. I I know we need to finish this up and get to the next segment. But very quickly, I will say that is why I think Amari Cooper and trading him for a fifth-round pick last year still resonates more. Um, Because, look, that's the one that didn't work, right? People were upset about letting Randy Gregory go. They had young players in place that stepped up, and they more than compensated for his loss. You did the same thing in the offensive line with Lyle Collins. Oh, well, they, they can't let Lyle Collins go. Well, Terrence Steele and Tyler Smith, two guys they hit on, you didn't miss Lyle Collins at all. In fact, you were better off moving forward. But you didn't get that with Colbert at wide receiver, who they anticipated would step in for Amari Cooper. So that is why, I, I think that is why Amari Cooper still resonates beyond maybe what his actual impact to the team was is because that was an example of if you would have gotten the right veteran receiver in there, and very quickly, they went with James Washington from Pittsburgh instead of Juju Smith from Pittsburgh. Now, Juju Smith would have been a better fit for them and given them more than what James Washington did last year. So that that is it. I think so. those are, you're having one or two opportunities, and how do the Cowboys respond to those one or opportunities, one or two opportunities this offseason? We'll see how they do that, uh, and, and certainly we'll be watching that, and we'll be talking about it and writing about it a lot. All right, that does it for our Rangers and Cowboys segments. Now we're going to have the old potpourri. I can smell it already. Uh, and let me tell you. Nah, that's not potpourri, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it's something. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about a number of things in here, but we're going to start off with uh, the Mavericks and, uh, and where they are right now. Uh, Tim Kalashar, our old pal, uh, made a, I thought, a really good point today about uh, the Mavericks and where they are since the acquisition of Kyrie Irving. They're not winning games in any better clip than they were before, and they might be going backwards a little bit. The games are certainly more entertaining. They're scoring a lot of points, uh, but they have completely forgotten how to play defense. Uh, and, you know, we can all point to the fact that Dorian Finney-Smith was, uh, you know, that's a big loss. He was their best defensive player. 
they weren't playing good defense when he was here. Uh, I cannot figure out for the life of me what has happened to this group and why they aren't committed to that uh, like they were in the past. And and that I'm sure that's a lot of what Jason Kidd is wondering as well. Um, I want to. I don't want to get too far off of the, what we were initially going to talk about with the Mavericks. But David, I do want to ask you about that. How does a team go from playing such good defense last year to such poor defense this year with essentially the same personnel? Well, I will say this is a league-wide trend if you look around, right? You, you look up and you see teams that have had a, a somewhat of a defensive identity who are giving up 128 to 136 points a game. Uh, you had that crazy uh, you know, double overtime game not long ago uh, with, what, 360 or 57 points scored between the two teams. Um, so um, I, I think you're seeing these offensive spikes from a team perspective, from a team standpoint, more than you have. But um, I, I think last year was, you know, everyone's role was clearly delineated. And it was, there was a, there was a formula to success. And it, Jason Kidd was establishing that defense in the first year. And, and now it's a little different because, um, you lost the defensive interplay between Jalen Brunson and, and, um, you know, Luca and they played together. There were a lot of role players who knew they had to fill their specific role and not step outside of it. And I don't know that the roles are as clearly defined this year. And, and again, you, you trade it off and you have an offensive player in Christian Wood who, who, you know, doesn't give you the interior defense. Like you say, you traded your best, uh, uh, defender to get Kyrie Irving who still is a good trade and makes sense just on a sheer talent perspective. There are other perspectives that we still need to discuss on that, you know, whether it makes long-term sense. And you haven't had Maxi Kleber. You know, it's, you need one, in my mind, to be a good defensive team in today's NFL, you need two perimeter defenders who you really don't have to do much for offensively who can just, you know, score the scraps off of what everyone else doesn't get, but scores at a high enough level to justify you being on the floor. And I just don't know that, that Dallas has those perimeter defenders anymore. And, and it's really showing in the rotations. Yeah, it is. We'll see how it go, uh, happens going forward. Uh, but let's talk about uh, something that's been a big issue. And Callie Kaplan, our Maverick speed writer, uh, wrote about this for tomorrow, I believe, uh, talking about the fact that, uh, Oluka is up to 14 technicals now. Uh, you, you get to 16 and you uh, you have to sit out a game. Uh, I, I think that that uh, certainly is an issue. You, you can't be at this point in the season when these games count so much. You can't be losing your star player. Uh, I think the, the bigger concern now, though, is what is this doing to the rest of the team? And this is certainly what Jason Kidd spoke about recently when he talked about the fact that you know, if you're complaining to the refs while you're supposed to be running down the other end to play defense, you, you're not going to play great defense that way. Uh, and secondly, no official is going to all of a sudden call you know, blow his whistle and say, you know what, you, you're right, I was wrong on that. Uh, so it's fruitless to see him do all this. And I'm, I'm just wondering, David, uh, it just feels like it's getting worse and worse instead of better. You think the older he got, uh, you know, he just turned 24. My gosh, that's old enough, isn't it? <laughs> he should be mature by now. I can't even remember what I was 24. Uh, so, uh, but at, at some point, 
don't they just need to tell them you got to knock it off? I mean, I mean Jason kind of did that a little bit, but I think there needs to be a, a, a little bit more emphasis put on this, right? Can you tell a player that anymore? Can you tell a player that effectively anymore? I think the kid can. I think that, that that's the reason why, frankly, I think that's the reason why Mark Cuban hired him was because he felt like this guy has the chops to say the things to uh, Luka Doncic that, that need to be said. He will respect it because he knows what Jason was like as a player. I, I don't see, you certainly don't see, in his reaction to, uh, you know, what Jason has said that was the same as what his reactions to Rick Carlisle, right? You don't see him showing up, Jason, in, in, in any sense out there. So I don't know. But, David, what do you think? This is, there have been a lot of outstanding star players through NBA history, and this is this is the continual argument. They play with that fire and that passion, and but where's the line between fire and passion But when you cross over and it becomes undisciplined? Uh, and, and unstructured enough to where it hurts your team. Uh, the Cowboys had this recently with, you know, Des Bryant. Every every time you had some episode, well, it's his fire and his passion. That's what you want. That's what makes him who he is as a player. Uh, you had it with Charles Barkley. You know, there there have been players throughout NBA history where you have this, but you're but you're always straddling that line. Yeah, you you have to be true to who you are and that fire and that passion and and that allows you to play at that level. You need to retain. But when it crosses the line and it hurts your team and you're not picking your spots and it's just become a bad habit versus who you are, that's where you have to be careful. And, and, and in my mind, I, I think it's kind of become a bad habit with Luca more than it is just uh, an embodiment on who he is as a player. And that's where you have to draw the line and go, look, and look, especially where the Mavericks are now, um, two guys who haven't played together that much and they need every single game they can together uh, to be ready for the postseason. And they're in a position of they can find themselves in a playoff, you know, in a play-in game. So one one game lost by Luca here the rest of the way, and I would say at this stage I would expect for it to happen. I, I don't know why it wouldn't. And maybe this has to happen and their playoff, you know, position has to be imperiled for him to get the message that look this is where you cross the line this is where you hurt the team this is not about you being who you are this is about you being undisciplined and not putting the team first and sometimes players need a very stark example of that and in this case that would be you know you drop down and you find yourself in a play-in game or who's to say you even make the playoffs now I think they do but um Maybe that is the message he needs to hit because because I think now it's I I think Kid is delivering the message, and I think, you know, Luka Doncic is like, well, I respect you, I hear what you're saying, thank you, but it's not impacting behavior. No, it's not. Well, uh, it's got to be like the reservation system, right? You gotta you gotta be able to both take the reservation and hold the reservation. Yes, and in this regard, you know, if if. If Kid is saying what needs to be said and Luca's not listening or just giving it, you know, a wave of the hand, that's a significant issue. I, 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 I mean, I, the thing that everybody seems to be dancing around is, you know, Luca's got some maturing to do. I, he really does. 
Well, this is what I've wondered about you know, them adding Goran Dragic, you know, and they have not done that, and obviously they're not going to do that after the Bulls released him, uh, was that maybe by bringing him in, he could, you know, they have a long relationship, you know, maybe he could be a good influence on it. Maybe he could say, hey, man, what are you doing? You can't do this. You can't play this way uh, because it's not working as it is now, and and, uh, and then Kyrie Irving's not going to say anything to him. You know, he just got here, and he's obviously been very deferential and been a good teammate and all of that. So, uh, you know, there were other kinds of players you could bring in who probably would say something to, to Luca, at least, uh, you know, off to the side. Well, it's still up to Luca to take it on himself to play oh, differently. Because here's the thing. The guy's got a big basketball brain, right? And that's the thing we've always talked about him since he, he's been playing with men on basketball courts since he was 14 years old. So he's he's certainly got that going for him. So when we say he's just 24, yeah, he is. And maybe that's part of the issue is that you, you're being forced to, when you're, uh, uh, you're still a teenager, you're forced to kind of play up and act like a grown-up well, then it suppresses all those things. And the next thing you know, when you're supposed to be a growing up, you're not ready for it because you've been suppressing that all these years. So I don't know if that's part of the issue or not. You know, I understand about when I was when I was growing up, I had a bad temper myself. But my, the deal was I couldn't play basketball. So, you know, uh, it is hard to get rid of those kind of things and to, and, to, and to grow up and be an adult. But he's got to do that. And speaking of being adults, we want to talk about a couple of other items here. Uh, we, we've just seen in this state, where basketball is suddenly king, you know, we can't play football in Texas anymore, <laughs> but, but we can play basketball. Good. Yeah, the basketball is really good. You know, it's the number one, uh, uh, you know, the Big 12 in general. And, and of course, you, you certainly say Texas because Houston is not yet in the Big 12 and Houston's number one. So this this is a state that knows its hoops, right? Uh, so we've had Chris Beard fired at Texas because of his actions off the court, uh, which have uh, been obviously well-documented. And now we've had Mark Adams, his replacement at Texas Tech, who is in limbo right now. He's been suspended, but that's just a, it's just a matter of time before he gets canned as well. Uh, and I think if we didn't already think that because of the of some of the things that have been said, uh, Mark Adams told Jeff Goodman that while it was reported by Texas Tech that – Mark had apologized to a player that he had made some comments to. Uh, Mark said, no, I did not apologize. Uh, I, I, explain, I will explain to the team my actions, in which, if you haven't seen that, basically what he, he supposedly said was he quoted a scripture which talked about, uh, you know, masters being, uh, you know, subservient uh, or, or, or slaves being subservient to their masters and, and such. And, of course, you know, I don't think that Mark Adams intended that to mean that that uh, hey, I'm the I'm the boss here, you're the slave, and so uh, you got to do what I want to do. It doesn't matter if that's what he meant or not. What matters is the fact that this player took it that way, and certainly uh, he should have been a little, uh, meaning Mark Adams, he should have been a little more cognizant of the possibility that that's how he would interpret that uh, when you're talking to young players. So he made a huge mistake, uh, and he's not really owning up to it. So it's just a matter of time before he's out too. Uh, and this is a guy who got the tech to the Sweet 16 last year. They were a great uh, story. Frankly, I got to tell you, I think in some ways they, they don't want this kind of publicity. They were not uh, as uh, sold on him now at this point, uh, and now this gives them an out. Uh, basically, they can fire him for cause now. They won't have to fulfill the terms of the contract, and that's what's going to happen here. But 
between those two things, now we're going to have an interim coach at Texas Tech. You got an interim coach at Texas, Rodney Terry, uh, who Dick Vitale has already spoken up for and said that that Texas ought to just go ahead and give him uh, a, a contract. And this is silly uh, going forward. I'll say this: if Texas does not win uh, big, if if they don't go deep into the tournament, Rodney Terry is not going to be the head coach there next year. Uh, I don't I don't know what Texas Tech is going to do. Kirby Hokut is kind of uh, coming to a. Uh, Fever pitch there out in text in Lubbock. Uh, they're not crazy about what has happened there under his administration. They struggle to win in football. They struggle to win uh, in basketball. Uh, well, they they did great until they lost Chris Spirit, and now now this is a mess. Uh, I will say that Joy McGuire uh, that was I was not on board with that hire in football, but now he has uh, did a really good job in his first year, and so people are on board with that. Well, let's talk about this a little bit about what uh, what Mark said. Uh, Evan, you you have some issues with uh, him saying what he did. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I listen. I honestly, I don't think the basketball court is the place to quote scripture or any religious text. Period. Um, secondly, you know, we do not need to be we do not need to be quoting any any sources that talk about quote-unquote, master-slave relationships. So I just feel like it's it, it, it's the continuation of one unforced error after another by Mark Adams, who came into a situation at Texas Tech where the university and the community wanted him to succeed. Here was a guy who wanted to stay in Lubbock, who was a West Texas guy, who fit what Texas Tech is trying to do in terms of building its program. We want people who want to be out here in West Texas. Um, he's just made one unforced error after another this year, I, and it's really surprised me how he seems to have driven his his Ferrari right into a tree. I, I just don't, I don't really get it. Um, I don't think you can bring him back now at this point in time. I do think you're going to be looking for a way out. Um, just, just really confounding me. I, having spent some time out there last year and been around that program a little bit, you know, I, I thought this was a guy who was a perfect fit for them. And I don't know how he has how he has wrecked at this battle. Well, I think the issue you run into, and and as a guy who is going to turn 67 in June, I, I'm a little low to concede this point. But when you hire a guy in his mid-60s uh, who's never been a head coach before, it's one thing if you've been a head coach before, right? Uh, and and then, you know, it's like Larry Brown. If he could just stay on the right side of the NCAA, I'd hire Larry Brown at any age uh, because he's such a great coach and because he relates to the players so well. Um, we didn't know that about Mark Adams. We weren't really sure. You know, it's a completely different uh, ball game when you go from being an assistant coach. is really good at what he does. He was the defensive coordinator for Chris Beard. And now he's the head coach. And everything you say as a head coach in particular is just, you know, it's just blown up. Uh, and he made some, he made a big mistake with that. Uh, so it's, it's really remarkable to watch the college basketball in this day be affected by that. That's two big time programs. You know, Texas was expected to be a contender for the final four. And they, they still do that. You know, they're, they're very talented. Uh, and Texas tech, you know, was in the national championship game a couple years ago. So, you know, uh, this these are big blows to, to basketball in this state. Uh, I, I will say the thing that uh, 
as we talk about this, you know, the, uh, um, the selection committee will meet on Sunday and determine who makes the field. Uh, there's a good chance that eight teams from the Big 12 make it. Uh, Texas Tech was the, probably the ninth team, and they're, they're not going to make it. Uh, so eight teams make it. Uh, and then, uh, and then if you throw in Houston too, which is the number one seed in the entire tournament, probably, uh, it's quite, a, a basketball tournament shaping up for, uh, schools from this state. And, and who could have ever predicted that was going to happen? You know, 10 years ago, there was a time, a long time ago when there was a couple of teams that were really good, but we went through a long fallow period without that. And now basketball is just, uh, it's just taken over in this state. I really can't explain it. I don't know what it is. You know, in football, we can always point to 7-on-7 finally being improved, and that's why, you know, the offenses took off so much in Texas. I really can't tell you why all of a sudden, after all these years, basketball is so much better in Texas. I don't know that there was anything done to make it uh, that way. If we could just keep coaches from screwing it up, I think the teams from this day could do really well. All right, fellas, unless y'all got anything else, I'm going to wrap it up here. I think that's going to do it for us. So we're going to be back next week and by that time we will talk about uh we're going to be making our uh our final four picks we're going to fill out our brackets we're going to have them ready to go next uh next week we're also going to talk a little bit more about the, what the cowboys do the what the rangers are doing uh maybe the cowboys have, will have uh they'll be close to signing somebody david just remind me is it march the 15th is the time they can start signing free agents yeah yeah you start talking to your own yeah bringing in others yes yeah next week march the 15th That'll be next week as well. That'll be after we start talking. So anyway, so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.